if you have a Bible, uh, I know the front of the bulletin says Matthew 19. Um, we're actually going to read, I changed it really late in the week, uh, the parallel passage in Mark chapter 10. So if you have the same passage, just in a different book of the Bible, Mark chapter 10. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free excuse me, feel free to go and grab one. If you need to grab one, you can borrow it or you can take it with you. Either one is fine with us. Uh, if you are a user of the Version Bible app, you can find our live event right now and track along with the scriptures and the um, sermon notes and all of that kind of stuff. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. That's Jesus. He was bringing children to Jesus, he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Um, the, the single point I want to make today, I don't know if you feel this way about your own kids. Um, every so often, my feelings towards my kids fluctuates a little bit. Anybody with me on this? Parents, if you can be honest. No, nobody. Great. It's just me as a failure, as a dad. Okay, great. Um, here's the thing about the single point that I want to think. Like, Jesus is really consistent in his attitude towards kids. There's no up and down for him. And here's the single thing I want you to take home, that Jesus thinks kids are awesome. That's it. That's the one thing. He thinks kids are awesome. My attitude fluctuates. Other people's attitude fluctuates. All of you who said your attitude didn't fluctuate are lying. And so, but, but Jesus, his, his approach and his outlook and his um, attitude towards kids is high, it's just very consistent. It's always the same. He thinks kids are awesome. And how do I know that? Well, in the passage here couple of uh, things I want you to look at. Uh, uh, first of all, in verse 13, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Okay, let's just pause right there. That Jesus, when, he, uh, when kids were brought to him, he stopped and he recognized them. Now, that's a big deal because in first century uh, uh, Roman Empire world, uh, kids were basically property. How many of you don't raise your hand? Do not raise your hand. How many of you grew up in a be seen but not heard kind of environment? Now, let's see. This is that to like the nth degree. You grew up with a, hey, whatever you do, just don't embarrass me kind of approach. This is that to the nth degree. And Jesus, when he stepped on the scene, he recognized them. And he said, oh, whoa, whoa, I see them. And what, here's the key question. What did he recognize about them? That they had an intrinsic value. Why? Because they were created in the image of God, just like the rest of us. The Bible says this in Genesis 1, that God made male and female. This is what he did. He made male and female, and he did so. He created them in the image of God. In his own image, he created them, male and female. He created them. He, he knew that those kids bore the image of God. Um, some people approach kids like they're irritants. Be seen and not heard. Don't make me look bad. Don't frustrate me. Don't cause me to pull my hair out. Don't make me start smoking, drinking, or whatever else I'm going to do in response to whoever you are and whatever you're doing, right? They're, just, they're irritants. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's the house you grew up in. Maybe that's how you're wrestling with parenting your own kids. Here's the thing. Uh, if that's not, 
the other kind of tack that people take regarding their kids, especially in suburbia, and especially if you grew up in a seen and not heard kind of environment, is they make kids idols. Instead of seeing them as image bearers, we see them either as irritants or as idols. And I want to address this just briefly and take this um, from the book of Psalms. If you back up to the book of Psalms, it's Psalm 127. Psalm 127. We'll start at verse 1, but I, uh, verse 3 and 4 really what I want to get to, but it's just such a good psalm. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So this is Psalm 127, verse 2. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Why is it vain? Because he gives to his beloved sleep. That's good, isn't it? Verse 3 is where I want to start. Just thinking for just a second. Behold, children are a heritage. That's my Bible. Heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Uh, Maybe the word that you want to, if heritage doesn't really resonate with you, maybe you could just write in there, heirloom. Anybody have a family heirloom? Something really, really special and really, really valuable? Heirloom. This is what we're talking about. If you grew up in a place or were shaped by an outlook where children are irritants, the Bible speaks and says this. They're not irritants, folks. They're heirlooms. They're prized possessions. Why? Because they bear the image of God just like the rest. If that's not your struggle, and you struggle to make kids idols, verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. What does that mean? Well, Arrows, right? What do you do? You take an arrow, pull it out, you put it in the bow, and then what do you do? You draw it back, and then you coddle it, right? And go, little bitty arrow, you're so good. What do you do with an arrow? What do you do? You let it go. Not indiscriminately. You point it where? At the enemy. And then you let it go. Instead of, oh, come here, come here, come here. No, no. You draw it back, And then at some point, you point it at the enemy and you let that sucker fly. That's what an arrow is for. If they're irritants, the Bible says, hey, no, 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 heirlooms made in the image of God. If they're idols, the Bible says, no, 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 arrows made in the image of God, not God, made in his image, designed to be pulled back and then let go at the enemy. Jesus recognized these uh, uh, kids, and he saw them, okay? He saw them. Secondly, uh, here in verse, uh, uh, at the end of verse 13, beginning of verse 14, he defended them. He, they brought kids to him that he might touch them, he says, and the disciples rebuked them. But when he saw it, he was indignant. Let's just pause right. He defended them from those who would not see them as people who bore the image of God. I don't, it had to be Peter because Peter was always the loud mouth, right? I mean, it had to be Peter. But it, it, you know, everybody kind of took the, oh, kids are coming around. Peter's like, look, all you people need to back up. The master has things to do. And as soon as he said it, in my mind, this is the way this plays out. Jesus' head kind of whips around like this, and in, in, it says he was indignant. I don't know what it looked like when Jesus got indignant with Peter and the rest of the guys who were trying to shoo the kids away. Shoo, 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 shoo. The master. 
I just know that I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that. Anybody with me on that? There was this indignant, whatever it looked like, they knew. And he defended those kids precisely because they bore the image of God. They are valuable. They are important. He bore the image of God. And that leads to the third thing. He valued them. This is on in verse 14 here. He was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. They are heirs of the kingdom of God. Verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What what he was saying in his valuing of these kids was they are models for us. You want to know how to receive the kingdom of God? How do you do it? You do it like a kid. You do it like a kid who, um, when he uh, comes close to somebody that he knows loves them, what does the littlest one, what do they inevitably do when the littlest ones uh, come close to somebody? They go like this. What does that mean? Pick me up and hold me. I want to be held by you. That sounds like faith to me, church. That's what that sounds like. They're models for us. And also, they are heirs to the kingdom along with us. They're heirs to the, It's not like we're just all that much better. Like, we need to learn from them in some ways, yes, as models. But also, they also are co-heirs with us in the kingdom. Here's what I think popped in Jesus' mind. That you and I would do, I would do well to, to, to hold on to this. I think Jesus, and maybe, just maybe, maybe he thought about this little one comes up to him, snotty and holding on to a banana or whatever he was holding on to, and going, hey, we're going to... I think Jesus saw not a three-year-old, but maybe, just maybe, saw that three-year-old a thousand years from now. Because that three-year-old was created with eternity in his heart according to ecclesiastes 3 he was created to live with god forever he was created as a person uh, to riff on c.s lewis when he said you've never met a mere mortal we are all glorious beings is what he said i just think that there's a value when you see them as models and heirs of the kingdom a kingdom that lasts forever he jesus he saw their potential and their future and therefore he valued them and lastly he blessed them verse 16 he took them in his arms and he blessed them laying his hands on them so just follow this track okay he blessed them meaning where did it start it started with affection verse 13 bringing children that he might touch them right there's, there's, a, there's an amount of an affection there. Um, and then he gave them attention. Let these children come to me. Don't hinder them. To such belongs the kingdom. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Attention, and then, uh, excuse me, affection, and then attention. And finally, um, this kind of affirmation where he swooped them up in his arms, right? And what did he do? Inevitably, I just think, this is in my mind. Is that okay? I think he's like swinging them around. Anybody do the airplane with their kid and, you know, dislocate an elbow or something? Like, I just... I just think that that's how this is, this is that moment where he scooped them up in his arms and he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. And somebody else came running up and he grabbed them by the head and ran his hand through their hair like this. And somebody came running up and just latched onto his leg and he just rubbed. Like, I just, 
there's this sense in me where affection and attention and affirmation were the things that he blessed them with. Now, look at those three words. Think about the first 16 or 17 years of your kids' lives. What do they need? Especially when they're young. Affection, touch, closeness. Then when they start talking a lot, like a certain five-year-old maybe that I have a pretty close relationship with, what does she want? Attention. An affirmation. Hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, you've got what it takes. Hey, you're going to be good at this. Hey, you're stepping into this and I'm really proud of you. Affirmation. Affection. Attention. Affirmation. That's what he blessed them with. And I think that's good to hold on to as a kind of model. Uh, uh, and it's uh, th- those concepts as we think about this next section. So, uh, th- this is where, it, for me, this, this passage kind of goes sideways. I'm back to verse 14 here. Uh, excuse me, at the end of verse 13, the first part of 14. Disciples uh, saw all the kids running to it, and they said, oh, we like kids. Jesus thinks kids are awesome. This, is, this should happen, right? What, what happened is said? They rebuked them. Get, 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 get back. Out of the way, move. We're coming through, man. We're coming through. The master has stuff to do. And then Jesus rebuked them. Here's my question. Um, The disciples missed it, and they were following Jesus, but just missed it here. Every so often, do we miss it when it comes to kids, right? But because we follow Jesus, we take his attitude towards the things uh, that he's spoken clearly on. We take his outlook on the things that he has made clear. And in this particular instance, he's made this clear. He thinks kids are what? Awesome. Therefore, because we follow Jesus, what? We think kids are awesome. That's what we do. How then does this play out? Let's use those same words. Particularly here on Orphan Sunday, when we're pausing to kind of raise this flag and to rally us as a church family, how do we go about doing this? First of all, we recognize them. When we are joining Jesus in this outlook towards kids and towards particularly needy kids, we are joining Jesus and saying, hey, we are also going to recognize them. When we do that, um, oftentimes, and uh, Carrie, our kids pastor, could probably tell you dozens upon dozens of stories. Those who work in kids ministry could tell you probably dozens upon dozens of stories. Of, of this, when we see them, when we take time to actually see them, to recognize them, we also tend to see a little bit of Jesus there. Here's why I'm saying that. Because Jesus promised in Matthew 25, for instance, you go about serving the least of these, you're not serving them. Who are you serving? What did he say? You're serving me, is what he said. Me. You give a cup of cold water, Luke chapter 9. You give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones. You're not delivering just cold water to them. You're delivering it to me. He identifies with them. He identifies with them. And so when we stop and recognize them, what we're seeing here is a kind of picture of who he is. And we're not only serving them, but we're also serving him. Secondly, he recognized them and we recognized them. Secondly, he defended them and we also defend them. 
we also defend them. We, we speak up for those who have no voice. We try to protect those who have no protection, provide for those who have no provision, and nurture those who have no one to nurture. We care for them. We defend them. That's what we do. Even at the end of his life, I I see Jesus doing this all throughout the Scriptures, but even at the end of his life, he's hanging on the cross, and he looks down at Mary, his mom, and he says, Mother, behold your son, and he points to John, and he says, John, behold your mother. What's he doing? Even in his last breath, he's trying to make sure that that person is cared for. The person who didn't have anybody to take care of now has somebody to take care of him. So it's kind of an end of life example for him. And then now you and I, we get the opportunity to join Jesus as he defended them. We also defend them. And the question comes up. It's not really an objection as much as it is a question. That's Jesus though. We're not Jesus. You're right. That's true. But we are following Jesus. Therefore, we're going to do the things that he said. And, and again, I simply point to his consistency in his attitude towards these things, particularly towards the fatherless, particularly towards the fatherless. He's consistent. And what he has, has displayed all throughout the Bible, in fact, there's 40 times, 40 times in the Bible, it mentions specifically how to treat the fatherless. The reason we pause for Orphan Sunday in part is because this is an important thing and it's all throughout the Scripture. It's in every section of the Scripture, in the law, in the prophets, in the uh, Psalms and, and, and Proverbs, the wisdom literature, in the New Testament. Let's just, 40 times it shows up. We're not going to hit all 40, but we got about four or five here. These are just, I'm trying to overwhelm you a little bit just so you get it. Here we go. Exodus 22, verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Two chapters before, God lays out the Ten Commandments, and he's unpacking this, and this is one of the things that shows up in Exodus 22, 22. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless. They have rights, and God cares for them just like the rest of you. Uh, Three verses later, there's this whole section in Deuteronomy 24. When you beat your olive trees, this is about provision. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. Don't worry about picking every olive off is what he's saying. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. He's trying to make provision for them. And and this is Moses, right? Exodus and um, Deuteronomy. Moses, Deuteronomy is this huge honking sermon that Moses just reminded them of all the things that God had said and all the things that he'd done. And here's this huge section right in the middle of it about the fatherless. There's a whole passage about the fatherless and how we're going to treat this. Like Moses knew something about growing up without his biological dad. David picks this up in Psalm 68. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. The thing I love about that right now, what is God doing in the heavens right now? He's being a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. That's what he's doing right this second. One of the many things that he's doing. Proverbs 23, uh, don't move the ancient landmarks or enter the fields of the fatherless. Why? Because their redeemer is strong and he will plead their cause against you. You think you could take advantage of them? Don't do that, is what he said. This is the New Testament. Oh, there's one more. Uh, This is from Isaiah. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice 
to the fatherless. And this one from the New Testament. Religion that is pure and undefiled uh, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And those aren't two separate things. Those are the same, they go parallel together. Just over and over and over again, we see this. Jesus is consistent in his attitude towards this. So when you and I step into this and we defend them, this is what we do. And this is what the church has always done. This is what his followers do because we are like him and therefore we do what he does. Quickly, this is a quote from a church historian um, describing um, adoption in the early church. When we first meet the mention of the adoption and bringing up of foundlings or orphans, this work appears not as a novelty, but as one long practice. So the church has been at this for a while. It is true that the heathen also used to take care of exposed children, but for the purposes of bringing them up as either gladiators or prostitutes or to use them in their own service. There's always been trafficking, folks. Christians brought up their children whom they took charge of for the Lord and for a respectable an industrious life. This is just what we do. So if you're in here and you're like, ugh, feeling guilty on this orphan thing, no, 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 this is not guilt. This is invitation. This is an invitation to follow him. And for us as a church, I just want to cheer us on and say what we're celebrating is how God has worked in our lives and we're reminding ourselves of why we do the things, some of the things that we do, why we continue to work in some of the ways. One of the ways... Um, that I know that this has kind of gotten into our DNA as a church and is a part of our story as a church is when one of the foster families walks in uh, with a new baby, everybody just goos and coos and, oh, you know, all the things that happen, all that kind of stuff. Nobody says, oh, aren't y'all such great people for doing this? There's this kind of underlying assumption of this is just what we do. That's right. That's good. That's worth celebrating. So this is not guilt, folks. This is invitation to follow him. Um, Jesus recognized them, he defended them, and he valued them. He valued them. Do you? Here's, Jesus saw their future. How about you? Do you see their future? If you were to put an, uh, uh, um, a stat on it, 15 to 20, depending upon who you ask and how exactly you uh, break the parameters down, but 15 to 20 million orphans in the world. That seems like a lot, and the scale is so massive. So let's bring it down to Texas. 3,000 plus waiting kids uh, in Texas. 3,000 plus. Church, listen to me. There's 8,000 Baptist churches in Texas. Let's value them. See their future. Value them. And lastly, let's bless them. Bless them. Let, let's think about what it looks like to give affection and attention and affirmation. And one of the things I'll leave you with just as we work this through is these questions for you to ponder. When you think about blessing, here's, here's some questions just to ponder. How about you? Could you foster or adopt? Could you? Can you pray? Set before God, God, here are the needs that I know about, and there's 10 million other needs that I don't. God, but would you just miraculously go about meeting those needs? Could you commit to praying for the cause of the fatherless and the orphan here? Um, just even in our midst, in our area, in our section. How about this? 
Can you go? Can you go and be a part of ministry um, to orphans? Um, I, how many of you know that we partner with a, a, an orphanage, uh, a, actually a set of orphanages in Bolivia? How many of you knew that? Yeah. Um, in Fundacion Esperanza in Cochabamba, Bolivia, we've worked there for uh, a couple of years now. They this year took on another orphanage that was failing, and so their finances are, are uh, uh, you know, they've taken a hit. Um, but can you go and can you minister? Well, I'm not even sure what that looks like. Bolivia, where is that again? Is that one of those? No, no, no. Where, here's, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. Here's a picture. That's what it looks like. You know what that looks like to me? That looks like. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. That's what that looks like. How about this one? There's student pastor extraordinaire right there. You know what he's doing? That looks like and he takes him in his arms and he lays his hands on him and he blesses him. Yes, 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 but those are young people and they've got energy and all this kind of, I'm so glad you said that. There's our very own Cliff Lewis right there. Retired. You know what he's doing? Taking him in his arms and laying hands on him, blessing, Right? Can you go and make a difference in a place like Bolivia? A fourth question to ponder. So actually open up a larger conversation here, but can you babysit? There are foster families in here. Uh, Some of them have more permanent placements, some not, but you know, every so often they need babysitting. Can you believe that? I mean, that's crazy, huh? Uh, the state requires you that you be licensed, though, to do that. And it's not a very difficult thing. In fact, Scott is back here. Wave, Scott and everybody. Scott is back here with Pathways, a foster um, uh, an adoption organization that we're familiar with, and we've got some of our people plugged into. Um, and uh, if we have enough interest from our church to get licensed to, fo- to uh, babysit foster kids, uh, they'll do a training here. And, and it's a, they've got all sorts of other information back there about fostering par- uh, being, becoming foster parents, about becoming adoptive parents, all of that kind of stuff. And if you get licensed with them uh, to babysit, you can babysit all sorts of kids, uh, uh, you know, not just kids who are placed through Pathways, but all the other foster organizations too. One very practical way that you can minister and be a part of blessing these kids. And lastly, can you give? Can you give? Um, is there a way that you could leverage your resources to help? Could you give directly to uh, Bolivia um, and, and support those kids down there? Um, could you, one of the other ways, we did this a couple of years ago, um, uh, there's a coffee company called Gobina Coffee, G-O-B-E-N-A. If you want to give pounds of coffee away uh, um, for Christmas gifts, uh, any coffee that you buy, you can designate it specifically to go to Bolivia. They take a, a good portion, a substantial portion of their, uh, uh, of the, the difference, um, of their profit, I guess I should say. Uh, they take a substantial portion and they give it um, to Life Song for Orphans and we can designate it specifically for Bolivia. Um, some of you know, you know, Jenny and I, we, uh, whenever there's a, a adoption fundraiser or something, we're always buying t-shirts and that kind of thing. You're like, you don't you really pay $30 for a t-shirt? We're not paying $30 for the t-shirt. Paying $30 to help raise funds to see uh, kids come home and be a part of this. So there's all sorts of ways that you can invest. Can you give? Can you leverage your resources? Can you, like, Jesus bless them. So what does that look like for you?
What is your role in that? Could you foster or adopt? Can you pray? Can you go and be a part of hands-on ministry? Can you sign up and get certified to babysit? Um, can, Can you give in some way, creatively even? Before we dismiss, and we will in just a minute, I just want to take a second. It's been a different morning, a little bit heavy at times. I just want to take a second and just let you sit with these five questions. Jesus, we're following him, so he um, recognizes kids and defends kids and values kids and blesses them. He thinks that they're awesome. What's our part in that? What's our part? So I'm going to pray here in just a moment. You may need to close your eyes or you may need to just stare at the screen and let those questions kind of get burned into your vision, into your mental screen, if you will. And then I'll pray. And then we'll dismiss, okay? And as you're sitting with it, you ask the Holy Spirit, God, what, what had my name on it? What do I need to do? Now, Holy Spirit, would you make it clear the path that each individual needs to walk down? And then would you give them, by your word and by your power, the faith and the courage to walk down that path? For every person here who's wrestling with that question and figuring out where they need to, where they are and what they need to do and how they need to fit into this, God, I pray that you, by your spirit, and again, by your word, that you would free them from guilt. This is not about guilt. This is simply about just following. So, Lord, let that be. And God, would you continue to use us as a church family to make a difference in this area and in this particular sphere of orphan ministry. Thank you, Lord, for the things you've done and the things you will do because of today. I pray that there would be good conversations and resources uh, that that hit where they need to hit in order to uh, send people where they need to go. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.